Frederick Douglass was born in 1814, and he grew up a slave. As a little boy, Douglass endured much cruelty. Many of you have probably read about him. He endured this cruelty at the hands of masters who, who claimed to be Christians. He saw brutal whippings, cold-blooded murder, all sorts of difficult and, and terrible days. He endured this kind of abuse day in and day out. Well, as a boy, he, he was switched to another slave uh, owner. He was, he was, his ownership was transferred to another master, and he heard this master's wife reading the book of Job aloud. And as he heard the book of Job being read aloud, he was pierced. He could not imagine how a man could face the kinds of trials and heartaches that Job had faced and still praised God. And as a, as a boy, he wanted to learn how to read. Hearing the Bible read made him want to read the Bible and learn how to And so he secretly learned how to read. And he began reading Scripture. And as a 13-year-old, Douglas realized that he was a sinner, that he needed God's grace. And he, he turned his life to Christ. He turned his life and placed his life in Christ's hand. And he became a believer at the age of 20. He managed to escape slavery. And at this point in his life, he began to, to, to work for abolition. He often repeated this statement. Between the Christianity of this land and the Christianity of Christ, I recognize the widest possible divide. You see, Douglas maintained a vibrant Christian faith. And he called out believers who embrace slavery for their hypocrisy. In truth, the Southern Baptist Convention began in 1845 because of Baptists in the South who supported slavery. And as I mentioned a moment ago, the local paper highlighted this past week that our own church had demonstrated support for the Ku Klux Klan nearly a century ago. What a terrible and awful statement about the gospel to support any form of racism. Well, Douglas relentlessly gave his life to the cause of abolishing slavery. In the midst of this work, he remained a dedicated Christian. Yes, he gave his life to this cause, and he argued from the Scriptures to support his position. Friend, what do you give your life to? What has God called you to do? We'll think about this idea of calling together as, as we open up the Word. We'll be in Colossians chapter 1. I'd invite you to take a, a pew Bible and turn to page 1043. Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae. The church was plagued by false teachers. There, there were false teachers who were trying to lead the Colossians away from the true gospel. So Paul writes this letter to try to keep the church on track. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I'm completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body. That is the church. I've become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength 
that works powerfully within me. In this text, we see Paul's main idea. By God's power, fulfill the call that God has given you. By God's power, fulfill the call that God has given you. Paul gives three elements of fulfilling the call of God. Let's look for the first element in verse 24. Paul begins with the word now. This word serves as a transition from from Paul's declaration of Christ's supremacy and of Christ's majesty that that he just wrote about in the previous verses. And so because of who Jesus is, Paul could face suffering with joy. Not only that, Paul could face suffering with joy because he was sure that his suffering served the the church at Colossae and and served the church at large. Now, what kind of suffering was Paul enduring? Well, Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. He was in prison not for killing someone. He was in prison because of his commitment to preach the gospel. Paul faced all kinds of agony in the midst of of his ministry, including many near-death experiences. He says that he was beaten with 39 lashes, five different times, beaten with a rod. Um, He was stoned. He was shipwrecked, left for dead, countless times. And this is only a partial list of Paul's hardships. Clearly, Paul's ministry and his example of faithfulness in the midst of heartache served to strengthen the church. And his example still does. So what does Paul mean when he says, I'm completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's affliction for his body? That is the church. Well, this verse has been used by the Roman Catholic Church to suggest that Christ's atonement or his death on the cross wasn't adequate. That the suffering of, of saints needed to be added to uh, uh, the, the Christ's death on the cross. That his death needed this supplement, the suffering of the saints. But is that what Paul is saying? Well, it can't be, and here's why. Because if you look in verses just above it, verses 21 and 22, Paul says that the atonement is sufficient for saving people, that what Christ did on the cross is sufficient. And if you look at all of Paul's teaching about how to be saved and how to be made right with God, it's clear that we add nothing to the equation. It's clear the only way that we're saved is by the grace of God. Paul says this over and over in his writings. In addition, the Greek word that is translated as affliction in this verse is never used to describe Christ's suffering on the cross. Nowhere in Scripture. So what does does Paul mean by this statement? I'm completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, the church. Well, we could ask the question, what is Christ's body? Paul answers it. His body is the church. In other words, God intends for believers and for the church to face suffering and difficulty. God uses this suffering for our good and for his glory. Now, a lot of the the fellows that you're going to watch or ladies that you're going to watch preach on TV are not going to teach this. They're going to tell you that God never wants you to suffer, that he always wants everything to be rosy for you, but that doesn't square with the scriptures. What we see is that God uses our hardship for our good and for his glory. So Paul's suffering is a continuation of, of the suffering that Christ faced here on earth. Philippians 3.10 says, My goal, uh, Paul said, I'm sorry, in Philippians 3.10, My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. You see, Paul recognized that through suffering, he could know Christ more. And friends, so can we. 
So what does verse 24 teach us about fulfilling the call of God? Be prepared to suffer. Be prepared to suffer. In the days following 9-1-1, after America was attacked, many brave young men and women enlisted for service in our nation's military. These soldiers didn't sign up because they expected a holiday at the sea. They signed up because they were ready to go to war. They were ready to defend our country. They were willing to endure hardship, to endure suffering for the cause of freedom. Well, when we turn to Christ in faith, we are signing up for suffering. It is part of the Christian life. If we are committed to Christ and we're committed to fulfilling His call, we can't expect a holiday at the sea either. Christ endured great pain. And brothers and sisters, we will too. How should this truth shape our lives and our thinking? First, don't be surprised by suffering. You'll even face suffering because of your commitment to the Lord Jesus. Jesus said as much in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. If you strive to serve Jesus faithfully, you, you may face opposition. Opposition from your family, from, from co-workers, from friends, from your boss. Uh, Teenagers and and children, you may be made fun of at school because of your commitment to the Lord Jesus. Suffering is a part of following Christ. Next, take joy in the midst of suffering. Take joy. Paul was filled with joy because he knew Jesus. He had joy because he trusted that God was at work in his circumstances. If you belong to Jesus, you can trust that he's at work in your circumstances as well for your good. As you strive to walk with Him and serve Him faithfully, He is at work. So ask God to give you joy, even in the midst of heartache. Ask God to to glorify Himself through your suffering. Ask God to help you become more and more like Him through your pain. Next, your faith in the midst of suffering points people to Jesus. When you hold fast to the Lord Jesus in the hard and the dark days, people see you, they see that. And your example becomes a bridge to help people find hope and to find life in Jesus. So we've seen that suffering is a part of answering God's call. Let's look for the second element of fulfilling God's call in verses 25 through 28. Paul was a servant of the church by the call of God. God had given Paul this mission for the good of the Colossians and and for the good of many other churches. Paul was a steward of the call that God had given him. And Paul was passionate about carrying out the call of God. God had called Paul to make the word of God fully known. In other words, Paul was committed to preaching the whole counsel of God. Now in verse 26, Paul calls his message a mystery. In the New Testament, the word mystery is used to refer to something that was once unknown, but that is now known The mystery that Paul preached had been unknown in ages past. The prophets of old looked forward to what Paul was preaching. But now, by God's grace, the saints knew this. Now, who were the saints? Those were people who had turned to Christ in faith. They they weren't super spiritual people. They were just normal believers. In verse 27, Paul explains the message that God had called him to preach. God wanted Paul to make known his plans among the Gentiles. Now, remember the Gentiles 
were non-Jews. And they were looked down upon by the Jewish people. They were considered pagans. Paul is reveling in the fact that God takes these two separate groups of people, these two groups of people in which there was great enmity and brings them together in the body of Christ. And so, Paul says this mystery is of immeasurable worth. The recognition that God would save and rescue all kinds of people. It's a great treasure. Paul goes on talking about this mystery. He says, what is the mystery? It is Christ in you. In other words, the mystery is that that God would take all people, Jew and Gentile, and allow them to know Christ. When we turn to Christ, Christ comes to, to live within us, to dwell within us. And it's through Christ that we can have the, the hope of eternal life. The, the hope of glory, as Paul calls it, as Paul looked forward to heaven. In verse 28, the Greek for the word we is emphatic. Paul likely uses this choice of words to distinguish himself and his fellow co-workers from the false teachers that, that were uh, trying to lure away the Colossian believers. Next, Paul says that he and his fellow co-workers proclaim Christ. The word for proclaim here has the idea of announcing broadly or distributing widely. So what do verses 25 through 28 teach us about fulfilling God's call? We should share the gospel widely. Share the gospel widely. God's plan is for both Jew and Gentile to know him and become a part of his people. What does this mean? It means we've got to tell other people. We must strive to make the gospel known to all people. Every day, FedEx sends 4 million packages to customers. Their delivery routes cover every street in the United States, uh, spanning into 220 nations. Somehow, FedEx has figured out how to get packages to customers in a hurry. They're, They're known for speed. Of course, the church isn't in the business of shipping packages. But friends, we've been called to get a critical message to every person possible. It's a priority message, and frankly, it's a message of urgency, of eternal significance. FedEx is serious about getting people their packages. If only we were serious about getting people the gospel message. Why don't we take this call seriously? Why don't we recognize the cost of our complacency? It is eternity in the lives of the lost. You, my brother, my sister, you and me, we are God's plan to get the gospel message to the people of the world, to the people of this community. When will we take this call seriously? So how should God's call to to share the gospel widely affect us? Well, first, make a list of people with whom you will share Christ. If you know Jesus, if the Lord Jesus lives in your heart, God has placed people in your life purposely so that you can share the gospel with them. Who are those people in your life? It may be a family member, a neighbor, a co-worker. Maybe you've, you've had some health issues and you're seeing a, a, a nurse who comes to visit you regularly or a physical therapist. Maybe, maybe that's who God's calling you to share with. It could be a friend at school. The list could go on and on. But write down the names of the people that you'll pray for and with whom you will seek to share the gospel with. Next, look for spontaneous opportunities to share Christ. 
Maybe you get a chance to visit with someone in a waiting room or in the line at Six Flags or in a coffee shop. Look for these kinds of opportunities to share how a person can be saved and know the Lord and have eternal life. Look for every opportunity. Next, remember that the gospel is meant for all people. In other words, strive to make Jesus known to everyone. The gospel isn't just for this race or that ethnicity. It isn't just for the wealthy or the middle class or the poor. The gospel reminds us that God's family is meant to be multicultural. It's meant to be intergenerational, of mixed socioeconomic status. The church is meant to be a family of very diverse peoples united around the beautiful truth that Christ saves all sinners who will repent and turn to him in faith. The gospel is meant to bring very diverse peoples together. And that diversity that should exist among a family of believers is meant to be a testimony to folks out there who can't seem to get along, who can't seem to find common ground. Our love for each other, even though we are very different, is meant to show people who Jesus is. We want to get the gospel to all people. We want our family, our church family, to look like the community. We want to be reaching everyone, every single person. Now let's look for the third element of God's call. We'll look in verses 28 and 29. Paul says that he and fellow servants were warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So for all those who believed in Christ and converted to Christianity, Paul and fellow workers were warning or admonishing them and, and teaching these believers. What's Paul doing? He's helping these new believers mature in their faith. His goal for proclaiming Christ, he says, is to present everyone mature in Christ. In other words, Paul wants to see people come to know Jesus and he wants to see people grow in him. Now, if you look in Ephesians 4, we won't take the time to do it this morning, but if you look in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13, Paul says that God calls pastors and, and church leaders to equip believers to minister so that the church might be unified and so that believers might grow to maturity in their faith. So in verse 29, Paul says he labors for this end. He works hard. He pours his life into the goal of making disciples, of making mature followers of Christ. And then Paul tells us something. He tells us where his strength comes from. Where does Paul get the strength to endure all that he endures to continue on? Well, he tells us the Lord empowers Paul. He gives him the strength to fulfill God's call in his life. So what's the third element of fulfilling God's call according to verses 28 and 29? We should labor to make disciples. Labor to make disciples. Pour your life into sharing Jesus with people and helping them mature and grow in Christ. Teaching a kid to read is one of the most amazing gifts that can be given. I'm grateful for, for teachers in my life who, who labored to help me learn how to read. Aren't you? Aren't you grateful for that? Praise the Lord for, for faithful teachers. When you teach a child to read, you, you start with the alphabet. A, a child learns the sounds that letters make. The child learns the rules of phonetics and begins to learn some sight words. Then one of the most amazing things happens. A child can pick up a book and can read. 
And this ability will have far-reaching and lifelong consequence. Making disciples is a bit like teaching a child to read. First, you start with the basics of how to read the Bible, of how to pray, of, of how to share Jesus with others. Then a new believer begins to learn more and more about the Bible, begins to learn the great truths of the Christian faith. The new believer begins to work through areas in, in his life that, that kind of need to be changed, areas of, of sin, begins to, to be shaped. Eventually, once this new believer has grown, well, she begins to, to, to disciple another person who's younger in the faith. She begins to help another person grow in, in their walk with Christ. This is discipleship. And this was God's plan for getting the gospel all the way across the world that we might be disciple makers. So God calls every single believer. And I want you to ask yourself a question this morning. Am I a believer? Have I truly put my faith in Jesus Christ? And this morning, if your answer to that question is yes, then heed these words, friend. Every believer is meant to be a disciple maker. See Matthew 28 verses 19 through 20 for more on that. Like a teacher training a, a four or a five-year-old the letters of the alphabet and, and how to read. Are you coming alongside some young believers, helping them learn to follow the Lord Jesus, begin to grow in their walk with Christ? Helping one to, to learn to read the Bible, helping another to, to learn to share their faith? If not, why not? That's God's call in your life. This is one of the greatest problems in the church today. We are not making disciples. We're, we're not disciple makers. What percentage of church members actually share Jesus with others and disciple others? Let's just suppose the number's 20%. I have no idea what the number is. But what if only 20% of Americans could read? Wouldn't that be devastating to the economy? Devastating to our nation? And yet, this most basic responsibility of every Christian is neglected. We have churches filled with people who can't read. That is, who can't carry out the most basic responsibility of every believer to make disciples. Well, as a pastor, I haven't done a good job of, of helping you understand this. I, I see it as a weakness and, and I haven't helped you carry out this responsibility well. But, but I'm working on this. Ralph, Greg, and I, we are working on, on deploying some tools that will help you disciple people, that will help you do what you've been called to do by God. And so I hope to see us as a church make great progress when it comes to being a church filled with disciple makers, that is, a church filled with people who can read, who can do the most basic duty of the Christian life. How should the call of God to make disciples affect our lives? Well, first, are you growing and maturing in your, your walk with Christ? Are you growing and maturing? You can't help another person go somewhere you haven't gone. You can't help somebody grow in their walk with Christ if, if you aren't growing. And if you're not growing today, let today be the day. Start reading the Bible every day. Spend good time in prayer daily. Be in Bible study and worship regularly with, with fellow believers on, on Sundays. Start serving in the church and helping in ministry. These are ways that you begin to grow. And as you grow, you can help others grow and mature. Next, think of two or three people that you could disciple. 
Pray, pray for these folks. Reach out to them and begin teaching them and admonishing them as Paul did. Pick a book of the Bible to, to read together. Meet and discuss what you've learned or pick a solid Christian book and, and work through it together. You'll pray for each other. You'll hold each other accountable. You'll share the gospel together. You'll be making disciples. That's just exactly what God has called you to do. So who will you disciple? Next, rely on the Lord's strength as you serve Him. It's by His power. Ministry will wear you flat out in your own strength. So rely on His power. Ask Him to empower you and to help you serve. As the Apostle Paul knew, ministry is war and you don't go to war in your own strength. No, we need the strength of the Lord as we serve Him. So daily, ask the Lord for strength. We've seen that we are called to be disciple makers. Well, it was dark around midnight on November 14th. A fishing boat had just arrived near uh, North Sentinelese Island, an island about 700 miles off the coast of India. The next day, one of the men left the boat, jumped in a kayak, and he paddled ashore. As this man approached the island, two men were, were yelling at him and coming towards him with, with the bow and arrows. He cried out, my name is John, I love you, and Jesus loves you. And he gave the men some fish, and then he quickly paddled away. His name was John Allen Chow. And these were some of Chow's final words. Chow was attempting to make contact with the Sentinelese people, a small, isolated tribe with almost no contact with the outside world. Chow hoped to share the gospel with them. For the next two days, Chow would travel back and forth between the fishing boat and the island, attempting to build rapport with the Sentinelese people. On Friday, Chow decided to stay the night on the island. And the next morning, the fishermen saw the islanders dragging Chow's body around on the beach. Chow had written in his journal just days before his death, you guys might think I'm crazy, but I think it's worth it to declare Jesus to these people. Now, Chow's example is powerful. I'm not suggesting that Chow utilize the best methods and strategy in trying to reach the Sentinelese people, but I am suggesting that Chow knew that God had called him to make Jesus known. And he realized that his life was about something greater and more profound than just himself. He had a sense of calling. Do you recognize that God has a call in your life? By God's power, let's fulfill that call. Oh, we'll suffer as we seek to fulfill this call, we're, we're going to share the gospel. Some will be offended. As we, as we strive to live out that call, we're, we're going to be making disciples. We're going to be teaching folks. It won't be easy work, but it'll be good work. It'll be the right work. Let's do this. Do you know the Lord Jesus? This is God's call in your life. This is the call that he's given you. So are you? Are you sharing the gospel with anyone? Are you discipling anyone Today, ask the Lord to give you a heart that longs, that longs to fulfill the call that he's given you and to empower you for that purpose. And if you're here today and you wonder what the purpose of your life is, maybe you don't know the Lord Jesus and you've wondered what makes life count, what gives life meaning, 
Well, friend, meaning and purpose are found in knowing the Lord Jesus. He makes life count. He gives you a reason to live. You see, God is holy and pure and, and he hates sin, all sin. And every one of us is a sinner. That makes, that makes us an enemy of God. But in his love, God sent his own son to come and to die on the cross. He made a way for our sins to be forgiven. He took our punishment upon himself. And this way, the anger that God the Father has toward our sin and toward evil, he places on his own son. And for this reason, your sins can be forgiven if you place your faith in Jesus. Tell God that you know that you're a sinner. Tell him that that you believe that Jesus died on the cross and that he came back to life and that you want to follow him. And the Bible says that if you call out to God like that, God will save you and he'll never, ever let you go. And you know what? You'll find purpose for living. It's to know the Lord Jesus. It's to glorify him. You'll be doing what you were actually created to do. A pair of scissors cuts paper. A staple gun staples paper. Keys drive a car. Friend, you, you were created to glorify God, to make him known, to make disciples. Let's pray.